the show where I interview influential people in the health and fitness industry to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Hello and welcome back to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm Leanne Spencer, your host, and we're doing something a little bit different this week. I recorded some audio from an event that we ran on the 3rd of July called Increasing Employee Engagement and Retention. What part does wellbeing play and why does it matter? And we decided that we'd bring that audio to you, our podcast listeners. So if you're expecting something along our usual themes, this is a little bit different. But if you run your own business or if you're responsible for looking after people within a company, a human resources director or manager, or even a resilience manager, then this will be really interesting to you. The event was held in conjunction with our partners, Pinsett Masons, and we talk about some of the facts and figures that identify what the problem is. What is the cost of the economy of presenteeism and leaveism and absenteeism? What are the problems within corporations around mental health, energy, lack of sleep? I'll talk about a Times 100 company that I've worked for, which was voted best to work for for well-being, and the strategies that they employ to win those awards two years running. I'll also talk about other companies like Zappos and Nike and Google who are doing things differently and really prioritizing well-being as a competitive advantage. So it's a little bit different this week, but enjoy the episode. Let me know what you think. If this is of interest to you, we will be running that event again in a few months' time. So sign up for our newsletter on the website, which is bodyshopperformance.com, and you'll be kept informed of those events as and when they come up. So that's it from me. Enjoy the episode. So, as you all actually said, you know, that's looking at well-being very much in the system of the law and when it goes wrong. So what I'm going to do is talk about how we can more preventative rather than reactive. But first, a little bit about my story. So I didn't always look like this, this figure of, I hope, health. But my story, in a way, it finishes and starts in March 2012. I was working in the city, very close to here, actually. I come here four or five years ago and it made me shudder, but I'm over it now. And I had kind of had increasing levels of stress, which I was self-medicated against with alcohol, copious amounts of it, drinking anywhere between a bottle and a half and three bottles of wine a day, an extraordinary amount of alcohol to still function on, function inverted commas. That stress had been built up really from the pressures of work and my workplace not having the mechanism to deal with that. And obviously from the alcohol consumption as well, which I thought was sort of helping with the stress, but actually just hinders it. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And in this, this last job that I had, I'd been put under a performance management review. So I had a big number because I worked in sales. Big number to hit. You hit that, no problem. If you don't, we're going to have a conversation. So I went to a meeting on a Friday afternoon. I can remember it very well. Friday afternoon in March 2012 in Monument. And a big deal was going to come in. This was a third-party provider. They were building a system. My data that I was selling was feeding into that system, and the, the end client was going to purchase it. And I got into this meeting, and about two minutes in, the client said, I'm really sorry, but my client's pulled out. So I knew at that point I was never going to hit this big number I'd been given. And as I walked back across London Bridge, I felt desperate, really. I felt like you know, the world was going to come crashing in on me. And by the time I got on the train at London Bridge and got home, I thought, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm three and a half stone overweight, I'm chronically abusing alcohol, and I'm burnt out. So that, for me, was kind of the end of my story and the beginning, if you like, of the next chapter, to use that cliche. And what I decided to do from there was really at the intersection of two things I was very passionate about. Hear me out on this. One was health. Now, I know that drinking three bottles of wine a day is slightly contradictory, but there was, believe it or not, sloshing around there a desire to be healthy. So health was one thing, and a love of business was the other. And I thought, well, how can I intersect those two things and create a career and a business out of that? And that's where Body Shot came about. And we've changed hugely in the last six years. We started out as a personal training company, me in a field with some pads and a ball and various other things. 
to where we are today. We're a company that creates total solutions to optimise mind, body and well-being. We work with corporates. I'll talk more about what we do later. And anyone in a green T-shirt can advise you at the end as well as for what we do. I won't spend too long on that. But it's a complete transformation, really, in, in business terms. So that's why I do what I do. And that's why well-being is very passionate for me. So a little bit about the story. Now, what's the scale of the problem? 6.6 days a year per employee are lost to absenteeism. We've also got 86% of companies polled by the Chartered Institute of Personal and Development said they noticed presenteeism in the last 12 months. Absenteeism, I think we all know about. I'm not in, I'm sick. Presenteeism is where people come in when they're sick because they think they ought to be. Where they feel there's a pressure to come in or they just think they ought to be. Or they don't want to call in sick. They don't want that on their record. So they come in anyway. And we know the repercussions of that. You've got people spluttering and splurting. And, or perhaps coming in when actually they should be at home. They're really not feeling well, whether that's mentally or physically. Same thing, really. Two-thirds of companies notice examples of leaveism. Now, leaveism is where somebody goes on holiday and carries on working, where they should actually be on leave. And we're going to talk more about that as well. Of those companies, by the way, only one in four are actually doing anything about it. So two-thirds of them said, yeah, we know there's a problem, and only one in four was actually taking action on it, which is, I think, quite shocking. And the total cost of the UK economy of presenteeism and absenteeism is £77 billion. It's absolutely phenomenal. A huge number. So there's definitely a problem. Now, I think the problem comes down in some way towards three things, sleep, mental health, and energy. And in terms of sleep, we're sleeping less than we used to. So a poll taken in 1942 by Gallup found that people were sleeping roughly 7.9 hours a night. Who gets that? Who like that? Okay, there's hands and knobs, and I don't get that, but I try and get at least seven. If there's a seven in it, then I'm fairly happy. That's my goal. A national sleep survey taken last year found that we're getting on average 6.49 hours of sleep. So it's quite a bit less. Now, there's a brilliant book that I recommend you read called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And in that book, he makes a very, very convincing argument for sleeping at least seven hours a night. The actual percentage, if you're one of those people that said, oh, I'm great on six hours, no problem. I work really well. I've met quite a few people like it. If you round up to the nearest percentage of the people who have a genetic variation that means they function well on six hours or less sleep a night, any guesses as to what it'd be rounded up to? You're right, it's zero. Everyone that said nothing is right. Zero. So there's very few people that function well on that little sleep. So that's one big problem. 37% of companies reported stress-related absences had increased. So there's an increasing awareness now of absence and whether that's attributed to stress or not. Big percentage. 66% of British workers said tiredness and lack of energy had a serious impact on their work. Yeah, and if you consider that not everyone's going to admit that, that's a huge percentage. So lots of problems that we need to start tackling. And I call some of these issues the modern malaise. Anyone that works at Body Shop will like the modern malaise again. I talk about this a lot, but... Now, here are some of the symptoms I think we have in, in the modern malaise. I, I've got a, I won't risk disturbing this, but I think the one that actually is quite small at the top, the mental malnourishment, is one of the most important ones. Some of us are looking after our bodies, but many of us are not looking after our minds. As important as physical health. But also, lack of authenticity. People doing something that doesn't have a purpose, that isn't authentic to them. And that was definitely me. I mean, I look very different. I had long hair, I wore suits, with skirt suits, with heels and tights, and you can see now that's not the image I project now. It's that lack of authenticity, whether it's what you're doing, what you're wearing, who you're working with, can contribute to that modern malaise as well. People doing something that's deeply unfulfilling, unhappiness, busyness becoming a new drug, you know, measuring your self-worth through productivity, all sides of, of burnout, all characteristics of burnout. Stress. So I think it's just important to make a distinction between stress and burnout. 
Stress in and of itself is no bad thing. We need to put ourselves under physiological stress for exercise, and then we get the adaptations if we rest, and that's how we strengthen ourselves and we become fitter. I haven't had children, but I'm sure a few of you in the room have, whether that's actually having them or fathering them and going through that, and I hear that can be quite stressful. Stress helps us to get shit done, that's the bottom line. You know, we need an element of stress to make things happen. So time frames also a little bit stress-driven. So in some ways, it's no bad thing. When stress becomes a bad thing, it's when it becomes prolonged and elevated. So would you mind doing me a favour, Antonia? Just grab a plate next to you, and if you wouldn't mind coming to the front. I haven't told her she's doing this, so she's no idea what to expect. No, I'm not. Is that plate heavy? No. Okay. If you hold it out, if anyone sees this... Oh, it will get heavy. So, <laughs> you could just hold that out. For how long? For as long as I say. Oh. <laughs> and we'll come back to you. Um, stress is a state of mental tension or worry caused by shorter men's, basically. So, it's not a bad thing. As long as we get sort of periods of stress, periods of recovery, periods of stress, periods of recovery, no bad thing. Burnout, on the other hand, is an exhaustion of physical, emotional, and mental strength. It's a collapse. It's a completely different thing. There was a big spectrum. I was two-thirds, three-quarters down that burnout spectrum. I didn't have a complete collapse, but one was coming. You probably guess the alcohol got kicked straight out. I haven't had a drop since. So I was somewhere down that spectrum. But it's a big spectrum, and it depends. You know, one person's enough, or one person's ability to endure is going to be different from another. But there's a key distinction between stress and burnout. Energy balance. My graphic designer pulled out this image and I thought, fine, we'll go with it. But it's somebody very euphoric. You know, when you've got enough energy, whether that's you as an individual or the people in your organisation and your organisation as a whole, it feels great. We can do anything, right? We can vault rocks and no sprained ankles in sight. It's amazing. When we're burnt out, and this is important for you to look at, actually, if you're from an HR kind of background or that's your bent, to, to spot in your people when simple tasks, tasks that you'd normally find easy, start to look like this. So the task that I was doing perfectly well six months ago, do you know what? It looks like I've got to climb a mountain in a storm. That is really difficult. That's the difference. So if you start to notice the energy going down in your organisation or people starting to say, actually, I can't do this job anymore, that's a key sign that you've got a problem within your organisation. How are you getting on? I was going to ask. You haven't forgotten about that. No, well, I kind of have. So you can put that down. The point here is this. It's not the weight of what you're holding. It's how long you're holding it for. So you can give your employees something stressful to deal with, a heavy load to lift and carry, but you've got to let them put it down and leave it down for a while so they can recover. That's the point of that exercise. Thank you. So a definition of well-being, the state of being comfortable, healthy and happy. I mean, we use well-being a lot. You know, it's a term that some like, some don't. And what do we really mean by it? So the psychologist Carol Riff defined it as these six attributes. Autonomy, environmental mastery, positive relationship with others, Purpose in life, we're going to talk a lot more about purpose. Realisation of potential and self-acceptance. Does anyone have a different definition that they, they like for well-being? Everyone's happy with that. We know what we're talking about, don't we? We're in a, we'll come to an event about it. So we have a seven-step methodology that we use to help measure energy, well-being, performance, resilience in an organisation. So it's called the Perform Scorecard. I'm going to give you a link to this later. So we look at seven things and we're going to talk them through today. P for purpose, E for energy. R for resilience, F for fitness, O for openness, R for revitalization, and M for mental health. They're the seven areas that we look at to help get a sense of what degree of well-being is there within this organization. So let's start with P for purpose. Purpose is a, a study done by Corn Ferry that found that companies that have a really strong sense of purpose in their organization, when I say strong sense of purpose, you know, what is this organization about? What is our why, to use Simon Sinek's kind of concept? 
Why are we here? So our purpose within Body Shot is to empower you to prolong your health span through the personalization of our fitness and nutrition. So very simply put, we want you to do what's good for you, feel that you have all the tools that you need to personalize your health, to ensure that you have a long health span, not lifespan, health span. That's the purpose of Body Shot. Everyone in the organization is brought into that purpose and lives and breathes that purpose. And the Corn Ferry study found that companies that do have that strong sense of purpose have three times the annual growth of their peers in their industry. Three times. So it's pretty stark. Having a strong sense of purpose within the organization is very important. So on your pads, on your notepads, if you've got them with you, just have a think about these two questions. Maybe just make a note of where you think you can store. Does your organization have a clearly stated purpose? Not mission, vision, or values, but a purpose. Do you know what your organization is about? So let's give you a moment to think about that. If anyone wants to share what they think their organization's purpose is, that would be great. Is anyone, is anyone really clear on it? No one, or is everyone quite shy? Okay. Do the majority of your employees share this sense of purpose? A couple of heads shaking. Do you know what I mean by purpose? Does it make sense? You know, the why of the organisation, yeah? So if it's something that you're kind of, oh, I'm not sure I do know what our organisation's purpose is, or even if you work for a big organisation, I know we've got some large organisations in the room, just within your team, does your team know what its purpose is within that organisation? Does each team member know why I'm in this team or what my job is? Because that's an important part of people's wellbeing. We saw that from the Carol Rift definitions. Okay, Energy. Energy through the business is absolutely vital. And there is an obligation from an employee perspective to bring enough energy to work, but also from the employer's perspective, you know, is this an energetic place to work? Examples of that would be, do we have standing meetings? Or do we have people sit in meeting rooms hours on end with sandwiches and crisps brought in and they rarely move? That's just one example. How you can energise your organisation would be to have standing meetings. Maybe you have a policy of phone calls done standing up. Maybe you provide people with little sort of, they're not quite wobble boards. I mean, you could stand on them with heels and you'd be okay, but they just allow you to push your weight from one foot to another. They might be tricky in heels. Maybe you bring one in next time, I'll put it to the test. So would you describe your organisation as an energetic place to work? Who would describe their company as an energetic place to work? Would anyone? No? Tom, you were like? Well, sometimes, but not yeah. all, certainly not consistently uh, energetic. No. Yeah. Would anyone else say theirs was? Would anyone say their place is a very unenergetic environment? Okay. Does your organisation have a policy for maintaining basic minimum activity levels for employees? So you can cut this a lot of ways. You know, just giving people the scope to go to the gym at a time that suits them is one option. But also just creating an environment where we expect basic minimum energy levels. You know, I expect you to turn up to work. And I'm going to tell you at the end my vision for how this could work. We expect you to turn up for work energised, to have enough sleep, to have eaten the right kind of foods. I think it's reasonable for an employer to have a basic minimum standard of energy, sleep and vitality they demand of employees. But if you're going to do that, you need to, it needs to be reciprocal. You need to be providing people with an environment where they have the option to be active, they have the option to standing meetings, they have some flexibility. So it's reciprocal. We'll talk more about that in a second. Resilience. Has anyone got a definition of resilience they can volunteer? What does it mean to you? Your ability to be able to deal with stress and strife and yeah, yeah, to actually keep you well. So yeah, yeah, your, your coping mechanisms. Yep, yeah, definitely. Anyone else? Survival, but in positive terms. Yeah. 
So I would say very similar to both of those, the emotional bandwidth to handle stress and then having the tools to manage it. That, for me, would be resilience, very much like what you both said. Resilience is a term that's used a lot. I'm not that key on it in some respects because it kind of puts it all down on the individual. You just need to be more resilient. And, of course, resilience is affected by so many things, you know, how you grew up all the way through to what's happened to you very recently. But having a certain amount of resilience, it is something that you can learn and develop. So I think putting yourself under challenges, but physical exercise is a really great way of doing that, helps to build resilience. We take ourselves into our discomfort zone as fitness people every few months because that builds resilience. You enter something like a 5K or a marathon, whatever it is for you, and you train up for that and you don't think you can do it, okay, you go off and achieve it, that builds resilience. So I think that's one thing. Having, you know, encouraging people to get into their discomfort zone is a great way to build resilience. So a couple of questions for you on that. Do you have any way to identify when an employee is struggling or needs support <coughs> to resilience? If somebody is, is saying, actually, even if I have very good resilience, I'm kind of reaching my boundaries here and what, what I can endure. Have you got something in place to spot that? Very, very important, particularly when we're talking about prevention, not retrospective action, which is what the lawyers in the room typically deal with. And you only see cases where it's gone wrong, right? So is there something in place to protect or to identify employees when they need help? Do you provide tools to enable employees to stay healthy? So, for example, a learning management system, an online platform where they can go and learn more about sleep, learn more about mental health, workshops, talks, books available in shared areas, resources that, that people can access so that they can maybe learn more about health or learn from best practice. You could even have a mental health champion, for example, or a, a resilience champion. There's a resilience manager with Deloitte, believe it or not, his name is John Bins, and he's actually somebody who burnt out as a partner at Deloitte, had a chronic burnout, came back, and now I think he's part-time at Deloitte as a resilience manager. So we might well see more job titles like that coming up in the future. There are many. I've looked on LinkedIn, but there may be more. Fitness. Now, when I talk about fitness, I'm not talking about squats and lunges, although that's a component of fitness. And that's why we went from being a personal training company to a company that creates total solutions for my body and well-being. Because we realised that fitness was a very small part of people's well-being. Important part, but a small part. Just a, a cog in the wheel. Really what I'm talking about here is your general fitness, your mental, spiritual, emotional well-being. Your fitness for the rigours of business, the rigours of daily life. You know, we're hyper-connected now, aren't we? We've been pulled in so many different directions. How fit are you to be able to cope with that? So a couple of questions for you here. Do you encourage employees to be during the workday? I touched on some of those ways you can do it. Standing meetings. You can have standing desks. There's a very simple little device I bought for £25. It's called a laptop table. If you put laptop table into Amazon, you'll find this thing and it concertinas up. So all I do, if I'm deep in work, I do tend to sit. I'll get up every hour and do various bits and pieces. But if, I, if I'm doing something where I can afford to you know, stand up, move around a bit more, I'll put this thing on my desk. I'll stand up, put the laptop on top of it, and I've now got a standing desk. So no need for an expensive thing that comes up in the air. You know, just £25 can hack that. And does anyone in your leadership team demonstrate the importance of general fitness? I think this is absolutely crucial. When we're talking about well-being, it's all very well talking about it in pockets of the organisation, but if it's not embodied and supported at the very, very top, often it's kind of toothless. You know, we're going to do this, but there's no buying from the top. So does anyone in your leadership team or your C-level, board level, actually demonstrate the importance of fitness? So there are some CEOs who are quite well known for being triathletes and competitive runners and that kind of thing, but many aren't talking about this at all, and they need to be. 
openness. We touched on communication earlier on. So, a couple of key questions for you here. In your opinion, does your company culture make it easy to talk about how you're feeling? And linked with that, has anyone in your leadership team, again, openly spoken out about how they feel? Whether that's, I feel physically tired, you know, that image we just had of the stormy mountain just coming into work. There's somebody, in my second book, Rise and Shine, I've got two case studies in there. In the one case study with Kurt Tyler, he was walking along the street very close to here on his way to a meeting and something just kind of metaphorically hit him and he completely forgot where he was going. He had no idea where he was. He phoned his daughter in distress and I've no idea where I am or what I'm doing and she had to come and get him. It was very distressing for her as well. And he had a collapse. And another case study of a client, Sarah, she was sat on a bus and physically felt so heavy and so weighed down she couldn't get to work. She sat on the bus until it did a loop, came home and went to bed for four days. So you know, it's that kind of weight. And I think to the latter point, anyone in the leadership open discussed how they feel. A business partner of mine, Jeff McDonald, I don't know if any of you have come across Jeff. He was an ex-VP of Unilever. And you know the Cop d'Argent restaurant down the road? There's been a few bankers who've lost their lives jumping off the, the edge of that. Well, one of those was a guy called Nico, who was Jeff's best friend. So after Nico jumped, Jeff fell into a very deep depression himself. He's left Unilever now and he's recovered. And what he does now is he organises events and does talks to help reduce or eliminate the stigma of mental health in the working world. Quite a very, very powerful, energetic, good communicator. And that's great work he's doing. And one of the events he organised, he got, I think it was six or seven C-suite executives to come in and talk about mental health, how it affected them personally, how it affected their son in one case, how it affected their employee. And that's the kind of conversation we need to be having more. Yeah, not at mid-level, no disrespect to that level, but the leadership team in your organisation needs to be talking about the value of fitness, needs to be talking about how they feel or how mental health has touched them. Because that, I think, is the most powerful way of making it okay for the rest of the organisation to say, actually, I'm not feeling that great. If anything that you do in terms of action points from this needs to be run, you know, to endorsed visibly by your leadership teams. Does anyone have anyone in their leadership team who has... You know, who openly propounds their love of fitness or the importance of fitness to them, or has talked about mental health. My chief executive has talked about how his mother was severely affected by like an anxiety disorder about three years ago. Okay. Which had otherwise been very physically and mentally health all her life. Yeah. But the impact it had on him and his family. And he's talked about that with the whole organisation. He's, he's a marathon runner, and I think a lot of people know that he is, but I'm not sure he's actually talked about why he does it and mm. how he benefits from it. And in slightly smaller groups, I've talked about mental health issues. As my daughter was very, very affected, um, had a complete breakdown, mm. um, and was really seriously ill for, for quite some time, mm. about four or five years ago. I certainly talk within my team about how that impacted upon me. Yeah. We have some amazing conversations now because they're really open now with me in terms of how they're feeling. Yeah. And whereas in the past I'd have had a text or a call on a Monday saying, you're not coming in, not very well. Mm. It's now a call saying, I'm going to work at home today because I've had a really bad weekend or somebody who's had a suicidal husband. Mm. And instead of just making an excuse for not coming in, it's just I've had a really bad weekend and yeah. I need to work at home today or I can't come in or whatever. Yeah. But uh, just a completely different level of honesty. Yeah, because you've always had that conversation. You've said that this is it's already on my radar, this has happened to me. Yeah, it's, it's profoundly it important. Huge difference. Yeah. yeah. And the reciprocal relationship nature of that relationship you know I'm going to look after you and in turn I'm going to be honest with you it's so important 
And you get that extra, an expression I heard the other day on a podcast, we've got discretion and effort. When you start to look after people, you get that extra discretionary effort. Do you know what? I don't mind staying late because mm. I know that I've got this in place or this is the type of organisation I've worked for that care It just about. removes that little bit of additional stress for somebody yeah. and what will support them. Yeah. Um, and actually, they can still do the job at home, but just they might start at lunchtime instead of starting at 8 in the morning. But you're right, they'll work yeah. through till the evening or, or whatever. Yeah. But they'll still get it done. But just I mean, sometimes it's important as well to for people to stay in the game. They just can't stay in the game at this level but actually what they could do is work from home and do this much but that could be really important for their mental health as well and they're still staying mentally active apart from the workplace because when you suddenly drop out of work you know you, you, you no longer got that community you know you're not in the working world you now have phone calls meetings some of that might be a deep relief to you but actually it leaves people a little bit high and dry sometimes as well you know, what do i do now i just you can retreat even more into your own mind so i mean it, one of the key takeaways i would hope you walk out with this that anything needs to be supported at the top level if it's going to actually happen revitalization so what scope do employees have to recover to revitalize themselves now some of that they're going to be doing obviously at home and in their own time but what opportunities do they get in the workplace so a great example of this is is there a space in your office where people can just go and chill out just take five or ten minutes maybe there's an ipad there with some headphones they can plug into headspace and do a short meditation Maybe there's a chaise lounge where they can maybe get 10 minutes cat nap. We definitely don't have a culture where it's okay to nod off at work. And I, you know, I agree if you're at your desk, it's not cool to nod off. But maybe there's a room where you can just go and get 10 minutes. Maybe you've worked, you know, we're in a law firm. Law firms notoriously work late. If you had that ability just at 10 o'clock, you know, when, when the client's checking their, their contracts, for example, there's no need for you at the moment. You could just go off and take a 10-minute nap or 10 minutes of meditation or Perhaps there's a balcony where you could go and stand and get some natural light. It's so important for well-being. So that's really what I mean by revitalization. So a couple of questions here. Do you have those quiet spaces or recover areas dedicated for employees to try and revitalize themselves? Does anyone have that? I mean, I've seen it, but not much. I think we've started to wake up to the need for this. And there's so much we can talk about revitalization. Let's just touch really on leaving people alone. But do you have a policy around email and not checking email after hours? The French voted into law last January 2017, the right to disconnect, which means that employees are not expected to check email. I mean, it's not that. It's between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m., I think, which is not a time I ever check an email anyway, but I guess, you know, I'm in a different world now. But nonetheless, it's something. So they're basically saying there's no expectation to answer an email between those hours. It's a start. While I'm on that, there's a Dutch company that got a completely different policy. They've got desks with wires, and at 6 o'clock in the evening... The desks rise up into the ceiling. So if you're still working, you'll be like, huh? <laughs> Send and you're off. Or you're on the phone, you're going to be going up with these desks. Which I think is a brilliant idea. I mean, I don't know how much it's going to catch on. Cost <laughs> to infrastructure and just the practicalities of it. I mean, a law firm, don't think it's ever going to happen. Like, desk going up in here at six o'clock. <laughs> well, it would be, you'd, have to, you'd have to go up with it, wouldn't you? You'd literally have to be, what are you doing? I'm getting on my desk. But, you know, it's another example of a company that's really taking things seriously. I think it's a creative company, so it's, it's a different setup. But nonetheless, starting to think about how we can look after people outside of ours so they can revitalise themselves. I do think the onus is, is 50% on the employee, 50% on the employer. But if you're expecting people to work late, work weekends, and you're not giving them any opportunity to deload, they're going to start tiring. They're going to start getting chronically stressed and burnt out. It's as simple as that. And that is on you as an employer, not the employee. They have the chance to revitalise and don't, and that's a different conversation. 
Mental health, we've talked about this a little bit already. In your opinion, would employees be able to talk openly about their mental health in your organisation without fear of judgement? So maybe in, in your case, that's a definite, yeah. What industry are you? I said engineering. Okay. So a very male industry where well, we don't talk about things like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's just beginning to happen. And that would be in part in your team, you and your yeah. CEO. Because they they put that out as it's okay to talk about this. And we've we've put all our managers through quite comprehensive one day mind mental health managers course. We've got the mental health and wellbeing champions across the business. Yeah. So when we're kind of hitting it from a lot of different angles, it's having a massive, massive impact. Yeah. Brilliant. It's one of the few courses we actually have people waiting to go on rather than where are you? Which is normally all we have for training courses. (laughs) You're meant to be here. Yeah, we've actually got it. Brilliant. Okay, cool. Is your organisation currently running initiatives or programmes aimed at increasing awareness and acceptance of mental health in the workplace? Is anyone then working on anything to try and increase awareness? Yeah. What are you doing? Do you mind sharing? So, the same saying, we're, we're looking at how we can do some awareness of mental health training for our management yeah. and our project management teams. Yeah. And, and going quite deep, actually, because of the nature of the, of the work that we do, creative industries we have quite junior people managing processes and often it's their first step into people management type roles so they tend to be a little bit what I call kind of clipboard tickets you know oh, you know like the only way I can see your progress is your actual desk yeah and we're trying to yeah. move the culture away from that. yeah brilliant we have a course that is about it's called human factors and it's all about how if you're in work but not in the right frame of mind that that can cause human error and that's so that's high risk to our business. What's your industry? We're well we're in data centres. Right. So sending someone who's tired or come back from period of leave, work compassionate leave for example, yeah. into data centre can be can be risky because they're not in you know, they're not fully fit basically. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's brilliant. I spoke to someone who was a consultant a few weeks ago and she said that in her place she was working in then, when they were bringing people back into work, you got to come into a completely different department at a relatively junior level just to get back into the sort of the commuting pattern again. It didn't necessarily have to be the full business hours either, it could be phased hours. But rather than come back, because you know, finally you come back and you're okay and three days later everyone's forgotten all about it and you're just chucked to the work again. Actually, so let's say a lawyer might come back into the post for argument's sake, you know, and just do some posts just to get back in the groove of coming in, putting in a shift, going home, getting used to mixing with people, and then you start to phase back into your old world, which I think is a brilliant one, and kind of linked to the human errors piece. Yeah, okay, thank you. Okay, so we'll talk briefly about a case study of a company that we've worked with. They're in the Times 100 Best Companies to Work For for Wellbeing. They won that award two years running. They're just outside of the top ten, so we're going to try and help them to get into that top 10, ultimately to number one. Their well-being aspirations were these. They wanted to keep well-being at the heart of the business. So they had already done some stuff around well-being, whether it was getting people in to speak once a month. They had somebody fit a bed in their reception. I mean, I don't think people would actually go and have a nap on it because you're right where the visitors sign in. But it was an example of the importance of bedding and it just kind of brought the importance. It's a visual cue, isn't it? You come in, you see a bed, you think, oh, I'd like to get in that. Or... A reminder of the value of sleep. They'd also done, so they had books in the shared area. They had this lovely canteen type area with lots of bright colours, with pictures of some of the things that the company did for charity. So there's a nice little reminder of contribution, something that's not directly work related. 
they also have a lot of outdoor space. They're lucky enough to be in Aberdeen, so they are quite near the trees and the forests and the woods around them. So they're well set up in that regard, so we don't have that option here in central London. But they wanted to keep well-being at the heart of the business. They didn't want it to be, right, we've done that, let's move on. They wanted to empower their operational managers to recognise the importance of well-being, better manage their team. So one of the problems they had is that elements of the organisation, particularly at a senior level, were brought into fitness, they were brought into all the kind of the perform elements I've just talked about. But your operational level, which is your middle manager, people didn't quite get it. Because they didn't get it, they weren't managing their teams very well. You know, they weren't getting when people were off, or perhaps knowing that that person who's been off with a sprained ankle or sores or whatever, wrist sores, whatever it might be, is that really what's going on? How can you really spot the signs and know how best to help people to prevent them from getting any worse? They wanted to attract the best talent. They've got some very aggressive growth ambitions, and they want to keep the talent and attract new talent. So there's two things going on, as the title of this event suggests. There's retention. We all want a certain amount of churn. There's a certain number of employees. It's time to move on. But you don't want to lose your staff performance, so you don't want too much retention. And then there's attracting new talent, of course, to help grow the business. Most businesses here will want to grow, and that growth will require new people, new talent. So that was a key part of it for them. They wanted to be known as the best in their industry for well-being. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that say to me, I absolutely want to be the best in my industry for well-being. And then you start talking about pounds, shilling and pence, and not that many of them. And it's all, you know, this kind of conversation. So one of our key criteria for any part that we work with is to match intention with investment. This stuff does cost. It's going to cost a huge amount. It takes the time, effort and emotional energy, but it's very, very important. So they really wanted to be known as the best company to work for in their industry. And they want to win more awards. They've got a whole trophy cabinet. It looks like Alex Ferguson's house. Huge trophy cabinet full of silverware that they've won. So we offered them a blended solution. So the first thing I did, we did a one-day consultancy day with them. We flew up and we spent a day with them. We looked at the offices. We talked and interviewed some of their key personnel. I looked at everything from the place that they eat to the entrance that they come into. And we did kind of top-to-tail assessment and then followed up with a written report that they can action. So some ideas on how they can make it better, things they can change about the recovery room there's a little device called a human charger that you can put in your ears i won't go into the technicalities of it but basically it allows you to get light in through the ears to the brain so when it's dark it's a substitute for daylight called a human charger it's a very funky little device we talked about putting that in the room so if you're working late or you're in early you can plug in for that for 12 minutes we talked about the ipad and the headspace app having a place where people can go and take a nap or they can just sit quietly and be a mobile free zone as well we talked about all those kind of things. We then delivered some workshops. So we did three two-hour workshops to their operational management team, 60 people, so 20 for workshop, focusing on our methodology, which is the sixth signal methodology. So we looked at sleep, mental health, and energy. I'll talk more about that methodology in a minute. And that was the basis of those workshops, focusing on those three things and helping not only to empower those operational managers to recognise the same stuff in themselves, but also how to spot it in team members, how to spot when someone's not feeling great, and then what to do about it. We had a 96% percentage said they felt more empowered after the session, and 91% said they would recommend the session to a colleague. So there's a small percentage that felt more empowered but wouldn't recommend it to anyone else, which is a bit of an odd one, but there we are. We also send them a weekly how-to email, how to get more sleep, how to be more active at your desk, for example. So weekly how-to emails and a monthly newsletter. Uh, I can show you what that looks like in a second. And then have a monthly call with the key stakeholders to review progress, make sure they're sustaining the momentum they're very keen to do. So this is the blended solution. We have delivered to them a customised front end on our Six Signals online course. So this is about two and a half hours of content. 
focusing on the six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. So that's content that anybody with any, this company's email address can go in and access. And when they cease to be an employee, they cease to get access. So it's a global site license. And they encourage them, in fact, they mandate that one day a year, which can be spread out across the year, they spend time working, working through this content. And we measure who's been in, how long they've spent in there, so people can be held accountable as well. So you can't say, actually, I, I, I'm not sleeping well and no one's helping me. Well, you've had access to this and you haven't looked at it. So there's a little element there of mitigating your exposure, but that's not the main point of doing this. And that's a mobile app as well. There are the six signals, that's our methodology, and the course content is all built around that. This is the newsletter. So this is the latest newsletter we sent them, our exercise and the heat and much more. And then there's some other sections there on digestive health. We have a podcast, we recommend the best episode we think is most relevant to them. And other little bits of content that are really practical. People don't need to go off and buy anything, they can go out and do this stuff. Outcomes so far, reduced rates of absenteeism. Absenteeism is one of the key drivers for this company. They wanted to reduce to get that number down. That number is going down. The workshops, so I've given you the percentages there, they're meeting their growth targets and they're meeting the goal of empowering employees to own their health. That's really what they want. They don't want to be a sort of paternalistic company, you know, we will help you do this and you must do that. And they want to empower people. And that comes back to my purpose, Body Shop's purpose as well, to empower you to prolong your health span through the use of personalised conflicts and nutrition. So it's about you know, getting those employees to own their own health as well, look after themselves better, better manage their teams. So in conclusion, companies are not going to differentiate anymore through pay packets, corner offices, cars. That will be an element of people's remuneration. It will be important still. But I think more important will be, how do you look after me when I'm not well? If I need to take time off or work flexibly or agile, as the same basis, the agile working concept, you know, how well is that provided for? I don't think it's going to be so much about the tangibles. It's going to be about the intangibles. You know, what kind of infrastructure can you put in place? So when I'm not feeling good, can I talk about it? What would you do to help me? What kind of flexible structure can we have to get me back on track? These are companies that are doing it really well. Procter & Gamble in the UK have changed their whole lighting in all their offices. So they have lighting that doesn't emit a frequency of light called blue light. Because what that frequency of light does, or colour is a frequency, is it suppresses melatonin. Melatonin is the hormone that signals sleep. So they're doing that one you know, significant thing. So we're not going to create an office environment for you that ultimately is going to detract from the quality of sleep. Sapos, Google, Nike, Ben & Jerry's, all big name firms, they have all got sleep centres, sleep hubs, sleep pods that you can go in and catch a nap. So they're definitely waking up to the value of sleep and what a difference that makes. And I call sleep the force multiplier because I can talk about energy, digestive health, mental health, the rest of it. But if you're exhausted, you're not here with me. So we do look at sleep first in our methodology, and I think that's why these companies are thinking, well, let's get on top of sleep. So we've got more energetic, resilient, strong, ambitious, and happy employees. Ariana Huffington said this, this is a tough economy. Stress and mindfulness don't just make us happier and healthier. They're a proven competitive advantage for any business. I'm a big fan of Ariana Huffington. You know, she had a burnout herself. I won't go through the story, but if you Google Ariana Huffington burnout, you'll read it. She woke up in a pool of her own blood. That was her literal wake-up call. She's written two books, Sleep Revolution and Thrive, brilliant books that I recommend along with Matthew Walters. And that's her quote there. I think she's bang on. So if you're looking to work with us or explore this further, these are the key criteria of our corporate partners. So bold and decisive, matching intention with investment, and fully committed to improving the resilience, well-being and performance of your teams. So if that sounds like you and you're interested, then let's have a conversation.
couple of calls to action for you, a couple of takeaways. We have a performed scorecard. So if you want to measure your organisation a bit more discreetly than me asking you to volunteer your answers, then that's the URL, bodyshopperformance.com forward slash the hyphen performance hyphen scorecard. We have copies of the slides we're going to give you, so don't worry about writing this down. But then you can do that. It's a simple online quiz, takes about four minutes maximum. At the end of that, you'll get a score and an invitation to sign up for a discovery session. And the discovery session is the first part of the process that we follow. So we talk a bit about us, a bit about you, your objectives, most importantly, your well-being aspirations. What do you want to get done? What do you want to get known for? And then we go into the tools, the process, and that's the rest of it there. So that's a free session for anyone that's completed the scorecard. You can come and have a conversation with us now. There are discovery session booking forms in your packs that are on your chairs as well. So fill that out. Leave it with one of us, either me or ladies in the green, Antonio and Jill in the green T-shirts, and we'll get that set up for you. So I told you I had a big vision, and this is basically what it is, that we will have organisations that have reciprocal relationships with their employees built around a health charter. So the health charter is, here's what we're going to do for you. Here's how we're going to look after you. Here are the escalation routes and the things that you can do within this organisation to stay well. We'll allow you, you know, the recovery room. There's, there's an agile working. We will look after you in terms of needing time off if you're not feeling great. All that kind of thing. And the other side of the health charter is on the employee. And I make a commitment as an employee. I will bring my, my full energised self to work as often as I can. You know, I will look after my mental health. I will sleep well so that I am energetic and revitalised. So it's a reciprocal relationship. And I think we will start to see more of those health charters. And then you have review points where each party is accountable to the other. Well, I didn't get this. You know, you've worked me for 14 hours a day for the last five weeks. How's that helping me? This is why I feel this way. So I think that's my vision, part of my vision for the future. And other companies like the Zappos and the Googles and the Nikes, you know, we'll follow on and we'll have somewhere in the office where people can get access to natural light, not just access to, to fruit once a week, that's not to be sniffed out, but that, that's not enough. We need to do more to look after people, particularly in this hyper-connected world where we're making such great demands on people. That's my piece. I thank you very much. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, bodyshopperformance.com and click on Take the Test and it'll take you through to a very short two to three minute health IQ test. At the end of that, you'll get a scorecard based on your results and a free 39 page report built all around our six signals, which are sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion and fitness. So jump on the website, bodyshopperformance.com and take our test. Finally, thanks for listening to this show. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard and it's added value to you, share the episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And don't forget to leave a rating, a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.